Tax Analyst is proud to announce a partnership with the American Bar Association Section of Taxation to launch the Tax Analyst Public Service Fellowship. This new two-year fellowship offers practicing tax attorneys the opportunity to work in public interest tax law with a nonprofit or government entity. For the inaugural year of this fellowship, the sponsoring organization will be La Posada Tax Clinic in Twin Falls, Idaho. The tax section has opened the application period for the inaugural fellow. Applications are due July 29th. Applicants should have three to five years of experience practicing tax law and be willing to relocate to Twin Falls, Idaho. For more information and for links to apply, see our press release at taxnotes.com fellowship. That's taxnotes.com fellowship. Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, the most magical tax break on earth. In April, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed legislation that will eliminate the Walt Disney Company's special tax district. The move stems from the fallout over a separate Florida law that restricts discussions of sexual orientation in schools. Here to talk more about this dispute and what it means for Disney and potentially other companies that stake out positions on social issues is Tax Notes reporter Benjamin Valdez. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So let's start with some background. What are these special tax districts in Florida and and how many of them exist? So Florida has over 1,800 special districts, and they're basically miniature local governments that can provide essential services and create their own infrastructure. And they come in different shapes and sizes, but the general idea is that they exist to bring something to the state, whether it's recreation or economic development, without necessarily relying on local taxpayers from neighboring counties to kind of fund uh, what goes on in the district. Now, specifically talking about Disney's special tax district, the Reedy Creek Improvement District, when was it created? Why is it there? And what does operating as a special tax district allow Disney to do? So the Reedy Creek Improvement District, um, it was created by lawmakers in the state in 1967 after Disney made a proposal to build a huge recreational site to contain Walt Disney World on roughly 25,000 acres of land on Orange and Osceola counties. And the district itself, um, it has the ability to levy ad valorem taxes um, at a higher millage rate than the neighboring counties and and to issue bonds to fund um, construction and, and other kind of projects within the boundaries. Uh, and this includes roads, utilities, um, even fire departments. And the district is also exempt from building codes and, and permit requirements that would be present in the counties next door. Now, are these types of arrangements typical for companies? I wouldn't say typical in the sense that you know states are just handing out special districts to any large company that that wants to move to the state. But I would say that there's certainly a lot more common. There's a lot more of them than people might realize, especially now that this one has been in the limelight. I think people are just now realizing how many there are across the country and in Florida too, just as you know, as something that uh, states have been allowing for quite a, quite a long time. All right. So tell us a bit about this legislation that Governor DeSantis signed in April. What led to its passage? So the bill itself, it came together very quickly. The governor called a special session to consider eliminating certain districts in the state um, April 19th, and the bill was signed April 22nd. And the governor and and some lawmakers have made it clear that the bill, the idea for the legislation stemmed from Disney's sort of public statement on the recent law that prohibits classroom discussion on sexual orientation and gender identity in, in public schools. And they basically 
they had they had clarified that their decision to to take another look at these districts was in part because of Disney's you know their their statement that they wanted to openly oppose the the bill. So, how will this law affect Disney's operations in Florida? So, certainly, it's going to affect their Orlando operations if the district is dissolved as planned. I think it might take some time for us to see how it'll affect Disney beyond that um, if they're going to feel it financially. But, you know, one of the possible changes is that Disney will now have to go through the local counties to do things, to to build projects, to, you know, to pay for things that it normally would do on its own. And Disney will continue to pay taxes. Disney World has always paid state and local taxes. The district wasn't, you know, it wasn't a tax exemption for, for Disney in that sense. Support for this podcast is provided by SafeSend. Empower staff with tax automation software that is transforming the accounting profession. The SafeSend suite improves your firm's processes, from engagement letters and client organizers to assembly, delivery, and e-signing of tax packages, the SafeSend suite makes it easy. Clients love the intuitive, consistent experience at every step of the tax engagement. Staff love reducing the time they spend on manual labor-intensive tasks. Schedule a demo at SafeSend.com to see it in action. That's SafeSend.com. How does the law change the surrounding counties and local governments? Yeah, so uh, that's like one of the more one of the kind of bigger issues that's that's come out of this is if if the district is dissolved, Florida state law specifies that the assets and debt from the district will be transferred to neighboring localities, and in this case, that would be Orange and Osceola counties. Some local officials, including the mayor of Orange County, Jerry Deming, expressed concern that assuming control of the district's assets might result in the need for additional taxes or tax increases. Another potential issue is that the statute that created the Reedy Creek District um, specifies that the state isn't allowed to eliminate it without paying off its bond debt, which is upwards of $1 billion. This has sort of created a bit of confusion around how the whole law will, will go into effect. Now, you mentioned that the legislature was looking more generally at these special tax districts. Does it affect other districts? Yeah. So while the bill appears to have been aimed at Reedy Creek because it dissolves any districts created before 1968, um, it actually applies to five other independent special districts of Florida. And they're now going to have to go through uh, the same process as Reedy Creek um, if it all comes to pass. When should we expect to see the changes from this law go into effect? The official end of Reed Creek is set to take effect in June 2023. So this leaves some time for the DeSantis administration and, and lawmakers to sort of gather a more formal plan on, on how they want it to, to take effect and, and what might happen. What kind of reactions have we seen on both sides of the aisle to this law? So while this has been a heavily partisan issue with you know Republicans generally celebrating the end of the special kind of privilege for Disney, I think... There has also been a bipartisan sentiment in in taking another look at these special districts and whether they're always a good idea and whether or not um, they always work the way they're intended to. On the other hand, I think a lot of the criticism, particularly from Democrats and, and some lobbyists during the, the special session, was directed at the, the rushed nature of the process and, and the fact that it sort of appears as a reaction from the state to a company's opinion on legislation. Well, I know in, in general, uh, whenever legislation gets rushed, we usually see litigation soon after. So have we seen any lawsuits on this yet? Yes, we've we've actually seen 
at least one federal lawsuit already um, that was filed on behalf of a few residents in the neighboring Orange and Osceola counties. Um, and the lawsuit was claiming that the dissolving of Reedy Creek will force local governments to raise taxes on on the residents in those counties. And um, the lawsuit also, on Disney's behalf, claimed that the company's First Amendment right was violated when the law, the bill to dissolve Reedy Creek was passed. And a federal judge threw out the lawsuit very quickly, um, citing that there were some jurisdictional issues with um, ruling over a state dispute like this. The lawsuit had also alleged that given the contract of Reedy Creek requiring the state to pay off its bond debt, that it wasn't allowed to happen. And uh, the federal judge took took issue with, with ruling on that sort of uh, state-level contract. The judge also said that basically filing a lawsuit on behalf of Disney's First Amendment rights, you know, isn't really appropriate and that the company can can do that itself if it wants to. And and basically the they refiled it in a state level court and they kind of refocused it. They got rid of the First Amendment allegation and they um they added a little bit more of a, a state level context to it to make to hopefully take it to that level. And I, I think that we're gonna see I'm expecting that we're going to see more lawsuits like this, um, potentially even from Disney within the next year. Now, this affects a, a local tax issue. Have we heard anything about removing corporate tax breaks for Disney or other big companies in Florida? As of now, it seems that um, Disney's other tax breaks in the state, which actually includes a tax incentives for a new uh, office complex, haven't been targeted. But DeSantis has said that he's not interested in taking away what he he sees as tax breaks that any corporation would be eligible for. It seems like they're sort of considering these districts and, and Reedy Creek in particular to to be a unique sort of benefit that doesn't amount to the same kind of corporate tax break that we might see otherwise. Support for this podcast is provided by Avalara. Since 2004, Avalara's vision has been to harness the power of cloud technology to help simplify sales tax for businesses of all sizes. And their solutions are designed to affordably scale with businesses as they grow. Collecting tax for the government is something businesses just have to do. But getting the job done efficiently and correctly can be an incredible challenge because tax rules and regulations can be endlessly complicated. Avalara keeps track of how thousands upon thousands of products are taxed in more than 13,000 tax jurisdictions. And that's just in the United States. With more than 1,000 signed partner integrations, Avalara likely integrates with the ERP, e-commerce, mobile payment, and point-of-sale systems you use today. Find out how your business can be sales tax ready at avalara.com slash taxnotes. That's avalara.com slash taxnotes. Avalara. Tax compliance done right. So... Looking out into the future, um, uh, what should we be keeping an eye on in the near future regarding this law? The main thing we want to watch for is is for a detailed plan regarding how the district's going to break down and how um, this is going to affect local taxpayers. Governor DeSantis has said he's he's him and the administ- his administration are planning an extensive outline that they're going to release at some point on how this is all going to pan out. And it could involve more talks with legislators and, and maybe the public. He's also recently told reporters that it's possible that the state will assume control of the district rather than the counties so that they can definitely make sure that there are no tax increases. Well, this definitely seems like something worth keeping an eye on. Ben, this has been great. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
And now, coming attractions. Each week we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Paige Jones. Paige, what will you have for us? Thanks, Dave. In Tax Notes Federal, Nathan Richwine and John Werloff explore how the special five-year statute of limitations for the employee retention credit risk potential whipsaw. Marty Sullivan discusses how fuel taxes could be used to punish Russian aggression. In Tax Notes State, Libin Shang examines the taxation of collectibles and other actual physical things. Jasper Cummings examines syndicated conservation easement transactions. In Tax Notes International, Robert Van Brederode looks at VAT rates in the EU. J. Harold McClure considers the current global state of the intercompany financing litigation, focusing on key cases in France, Germany, and Portugal. And finally, in Featured Analysis, Joe Thorndike argues that the recent criticism of Stanley Surrey's role in tax policymaking is ahistorical, holding him to a standard that didn't exist in his day. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at taxnotes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com slash podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening, and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.